I'll probably say a lot of things I wasn't supposed to. She's already told me I can't say how she liked my brother first. Um, oh, we are okay, all right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's start right there. Okay, Matt, let's start recording. Yep. <laughs> you got to bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. <laughs> It's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on, did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're a visionary. I see your connection here. (laughs) Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is your host, Jeff. Oh, we're hosts. And Andre. We host it together. (laughs) I'm a host. It's a partnership. I feel like that's all of a sudden a new name for me, a new job or something. Yeah, that's good. Yeah? You got a new job. I got a new job. I'm a host. You're a co-host, actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm the new co-host. Of the Love of Work podcast. <laughs> You're now a co-host. You're now an author. Oh, yes. That sounds scary. Should we talk about the time that you told me that I'm not a writer, but I am an author? Yeah, that's a true statement. It yeah. still holds true. Eight years now (laughs) maybe we don't want to talk about that okay listen today we're going to talk about minimalism in the home if there was ever a topic to bring up in the midst of when you're stuck at home in quarantine as you're listening to this and you're like i gotta get out of this house or people that are like rampantly cleaning and decluttering decluttering and doing closets now we really actually don't talk about decluttering so don't turn this off if that triggers you because that would trigger me because I am not in the mental space to declutter at this moment in my life you did bring up in the interview you kind of called me out about wanting to buy a hot tub on a whim uh yes everybody listening he almost bought a hot tub just online almost bought it Without any talking discussion, just the hot tub. He said it was going to be delivered for free. It's okay, it's Andre. Free delivery. <laughs> the hot tub. I was just. I mean, I don't know. This is a problem. We dude. do crazy stuff when we're stuck this here. This is quarantine crazy, Corona crazy over here. Yeah, not to say that it was a bad idea. Uh, yeah, still maybe a bad. He has one friend. One friend that is really... Actually, everyone I've talked to about this, except for the people you interviewed today, have said it was a good idea. (laughs) And they said, as soon as quarantine's done, they would come over and use the hot tub with me. No, because this is what you do. You do this like convincing of everybody how great of an idea. So then they're like on your side. So that then when I talk about how it's not a good idea, they're all already on your side. You do this really it's not about good convincing. It's really, it's community decision. There ain't, nobody's going to be able to share a hot tub with you for ages with this like social distancing. I feel like we're off to a really rough start to this interview. <laughs> well, let's talk about who we're talking to. Today, we are talking to Kim and Joshua Becker. He is the founder of a website called becomingminimalist.com. He's also written multiple books, The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own, and The Minimalist Home, a room-by-room guide to declutter and focused life. He also has a nonprofit called The Hope Effect, and it's basically finding family-based solutions for orphan care around the world. Uh, He has an app called Clutter Free. I mean, this guy 
This Listen, couple is lives, doing everything. Uh, Joshua lives in a minimalist perspective with things he owns and a maximalist perspective on projects that he started. Yeah. <laughs> Which we talk a lot yeah, about work. About and I do want to just, let me just clarify his definition of minimalism before we lose everybody and say that this isn't for you. Listen to this. It's the intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from them. I think it's a really great definition um, that it's not about really taking something away, but giving something to you. Yeah. So given that definition, the hot tub definitely fits. It's things I most value, like relaxation, self-care, right? Like all these things. Okay. All right. Let's talk about what we should be listening for in this interview. I got three things. We're going to keep it minimal. <laughs> Number one, she liked his twin. Liking your twin before you like the other, right? Oh. Number two, uh, throwing away honeymoon photos for the sake of minimalism. Big mistake. Yeah, don't do that. And number three, this is deeper. Where is the balance between vulnerability and stressing out your family related to launching a startup? What an interesting... That was a really great conversation. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that at the end. I'm sure we're going to unpack that. Oh, yes, we are. Let's get right to it. Here is Kim and Joshua Becker. Me? Yeah. Do I get to say how you like my brother first? <laughs> this is awesome. So is that true? Already. Um, Joshua's a twin, but oh. they are fraternal twins, so they look nothing alike. And he was still pretty young and small when we met. We met in high school. Yeah, if I were to step back, so um, we were in high school and we moved to uh, my family moved to Omaha, Nebraska. We were living up in North Dakota. And so it was like the typical, we met at a church. So a big youth group and a lot of kids and a lot of teenagers. And I, I think when we first walked in the door, she thought maybe the wrong choice was a better choice, but she came to her senses uh, a couple weeks later. And um, so I, we, uh, I, I, I liked her from the moment I saw her, um, not like a deep, relationship connection i just thought she was pretty cute um so we uh we met in high school but we didn't start dating until years later actually yeah so that's kind of the great part we were just friends in high school and um and then he's about three and a half years older than me so he moved on to college but he went to college in omaha still so i still saw him occasionally and we had the same group of friends i would say so we remained friends but you know, not real close for a couple of years until I got into college and I went to the same college. So then we there, kind of picked up our friendship. There was a, there was a basketball league that I was playing in and uh, there were, we were on a, co I was a college team of guys and we happened to be playing a high school team of guys. And Kim came to watch all of her high school friends play us. And after the game, we started talking and she wasn't going to be going to her senior prom. And so we hung out that night, me and a friend and her and a friend. And so I guess that was kind of the start of it. Yeah. yeah. There you go. 
And then we started dating in college and um, got married two and a half years later. And we've been married for 20 and a half years. Yeah. Oh, 20, 20 years. And you have how many kids? We have two. 17 and 14. My son Salem is 17 and our daughter Alexa is 14. Ooh, you're doing the high school years. Uh, my daughter uh, Alexa will just go into, she'll be a freshman next year and my... I keep saying my, as if you're not here. And uh, our son, Sam, will be a senior. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, right there, the joys of marriage. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Jeff used to always say, my wife, like, while I was right there, like, well, my um, wife, whatever. And I would just get furious. Like, my name is Andre. And no, I am right here. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just made me. Yeah, I feel like we haven't let that go yet. I think maybe <laughs> we should move on. Apparently, apparently, I'm still holding on to some things too. I so. think we're, not to, we're not used to being together. Yeah, we're not together. used to talking together on something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to hear. Um, there was this moment where Joshua, or a, probably a series of years, started going down this path of minimalism, right? And that wasn't probably how things began in your relationship. Or was it always that way? No. Okay. So I'd love for you guys to unpack a little bit how that played out. Like maybe the journey that you started on and then how that played out for in the your two relationship. Of you in relationship. Yeah. Well, um, so we've been married 20, uh, tw almost 21 years. And um, I pastored, uh, we pastored, well, I was a pastor. She was always um, there right next to me for 15 of those years. Uh, 12 years ago, I was introduced to minimalism um, by my neighbor. Um, I, uh, my son was five. Uh, I was outside cleaning the garage and it just took a lot of time. And my neighbor, I was complaining to my neighbor about how much effort was going into taking care of stuff. And she's the one that introduced me to minimalism right then and there. That's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And so I was, um, I was convinced the, the moment that conversation happened, like I was in, we were going to get rid of our stuff that we didn't need. And um, so I went in and um, shared it to Kim. Up until then, like we didn't have we weren't like six figure income buying brand new cars, but we had had three pretty significant pay increases over our married life. And each time it seemed like we just got a little bigger house and we put more and more stuff inside of it. And so it wasn't that we were particularly materialistic or consumeristic, but we had certainly acquired unintentionally a lot more stuff than we needed to. And I, I think Kim could see that too. Um, although what that meant going forward probably looked pretty different between us. Is that how you remember it? So when he comes in from the garage and tells you we're getting rid of everything, all of the extra, what are you thinking in this, Kim? I mean, are you on board with him? Is this a battle? What is this going on now? Well, he didn't start it that way, so that's, good. that's, <laughs> that's pretty that's important because actually 
he, we didn't even, we had not really even heard of the term minimalism. So it was as if she was telling us something brand new, even though it wasn't new. And so he just kind of came in like, you know, I, I think I should look into this. And I was like, that sounds good because we had been spring cleaning all day. I had been scrubbing toilets and tubs and like we had a pretty large house. So I was tired of it, you know, in that moment as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm like, yeah, look into it. Cause you know, it, it will probably improve our lives, but, um, but then the actual going through the house took us nine months. So it wasn't like a, it was easy and we were like automatically transformed. <laughs> there were a lot of um, interesting times where he wanted to keep going probably and I was fine with where we were at. The worst, <laughs> the worst time was when I walked in on him throwing away our honeymoon photos. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. What are you doing? And um, he's like... <laughs> We don't need these. We never look at these. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, still, uh, he had already transferred them onto the computer electronically, but didn't tell me. So I just walked in on him throwing them away. And he right. thought that was pretty funny. But yeah. In, in hindsight, it's funny, right? <laughs> now, now, a little bit. So we had been married, I suppose, eight or nine years at that time, um, which, if you haven't looked at your honeymoon photos by then, I don't know why you would need to keep them around, but we, uh, going through stuff, we found our old, uh, wedding napkins. Like they're just in a box in the basement of all like the wedding gifts that we never opened and things that we had kept from the day. And there's like, I don't know, a couple boxes of hundreds of wedding napkins. We just used them up. We just <laughs> brought them in the kitchen and started using them one by one. And I, uh, I, I probably took the lead in, getting rid of stuff like, Hey, let's do this room and let's get rid of this. And let's do, um, let's do this. I, I threw away her jello molds. Um, that was probably the worst thing that I, that I threw away without asking for permission. She had, there were football shaped jello molds in this drawer. And I'm like, we have never had football shaped jello. We don't even eat jello. Why is this here? And so I threw out and then I'm upstairs on my son's birthday, and I hear Kim screaming from the kitchen, where are the jello molds? Because we were having a sports-themed birthday party for my son, and apparently we needed football-shaped jello as part of the party. So that was probably the moment where I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't be getting rid of things without asking if it's something that she needs. It's always easier to see everyone else's clutter than mm -hmm. it is to see our mm -hmm. own, is how I say it. He actually started with his car or our car and um, he pulled absolutely everything out of it and then he just like had it in a bag and was like, if you want any of this, then claim it, otherwise it's going. And he had taken my extra diaper out that I always kept in the glove compartment oh, yeah. just for emergency use because I don't I didn't always carry um, a diaper bag around. So, you know, I, I ran into that problem pretty early on. And I'm like, <laughs> that needs to be there, actually. So Which I've shared that story countless times in front of groups. And every time I mention the 
getting rid of the extra diaper in the glove compartment, all the women are like gasping that I would do that. And all the guys are like, well, what does that mean? Why is that a big deal? I don't get it. Every woman knows that for sure. Every woman with kids for sure knows that. I would say uh, the probably the toughest thing for us is um, I, like I would be more minimalist than she would going on like always. And so I'm I'm a little short sometimes about buying things. And um, and she's always been real good with like having the kids clothes <laughs> and buying ahead. And I would get pretty upset when she would come home with kids closed and she's like you don't even know how many pairs of shorts our son has who are you to tell me if we don't need more pairs of shorts and so learning to trust her in that has been still learning I suppose 12 years later but I'd love to dig into that a little bit because I think there's there's probably people listening that whether not just minimalism as the topic but like where one person in a relationship has a strong opinion. Yeah. Or, or deep conviction towards something. It could be veganism. It could be minimalism. It could be whatever justice they're passionate about. And the other person just doesn't have that same level of conviction or, or there's, there's might be on a completely different topic. Um, if you were giving advice to someone that's in the midst of that, how do you kind of work through that as a couple? I, I'm going to let Kim answer this, but I would start by saying what I've learned is it's not just passionate about one pursuit while the other one doesn't have it at all. I think in almost every pursuit that we have, in every passion that we have, even when we agree on it, the lengths to which we agree on it differ so like we were both on board to own less, but for me that looked 80%, for her that looked 60%. Even some of the things that are most intimate and central to our relationship, like take our, our religious faith, for example, even in that direction, like we fully agree about it and are both incredibly passionate about it, but how that looks specifically is different, right? Like. Mm-hmm. No, I think we should be doing that. I'm like, I don't know if we have to do that, right? Like, so even in the things that we uh, agree most on um, in every relationship, how you parent, you know, like we're on the same page discipline wise, but when exactly to apply the discipline and when not to, I think we differ. So how do we, how do we solve that, Kim? You got those answers? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would say the the biggest part is compromise. and not always having to get your way or thinking you're right all the time and patience. And, um, and I think communication, obviously. So, you know, if, if we're able to realize that we're not in the same place on this, then we can talk about it and we can give our, both of our views and, you know, it, it usually doesn't end up all Joshua's way or all of my way, but usually we have to come together at some point. Um, and I, and I think, um, that the patience is important because I might want him to come to my side, but like, that's probably not going to happen right away in one conversation or he wants me to get rid of more, but that's probably not going to happen 
right away either. And probably the other part I think is modeling and just living it out. For example, my side of the closet looks a lot different than Joshua's side of the closet. (laughs) Now, does he want me to get rid of a lot more clothing? Probably, but he doesn't make me do anything. And then me seeing his side, how simplistic it is and easy is always motivating for me to think I can get, I can do a little bit more. I can do a little bit more. And um, another example I would say would be like sentimental. I'm way more sentimental than Josh is. And so for him, it's easy. You know, he doesn't quite get, you know, holding on to certain things as much. Um, And for me, that's more of a process. So I think his patience and understanding and, and giving me the time to get to a place for certain things to happen and vice versa is how it works the best for us. I think probably selflessness plays such a big role in it, right? Like it's probably more the, I'm just thinking through the different scenarios where couples disagree and one person's passionate about something more than the other, like how that plays itself out going forward looks very different from one family to another. Like even like the veganism example is a good one. Like I know some couples where she's vegan and he isn't, and she makes a different meal for herself every single night and it works for them. But I know other couples where, Hey, this is really important to you. I can make some sacrifices. I can make some changes and I can begin to adopt that too. Right? Like I've seen both work and both be healthy um, but I think it just comes from, hey, I know this is I know this is important to you. I, I see why it's important to you. I see that it makes you a, a better person. And so, how are we going to navigate this going forward? Right? That's more of an attitude thing than any specific formula. But is there times like that you came home from Target, Kim, and you bought something, and Joshua just looks at you? Like, are you shaming me right now? I can buy something from Target, right? Or is that like a... You mean every uh, time? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Try to put it away before he gets home. (laughs) (laughs) Hide it quick. Yeah. Of course, I get the text now from Amazon that something's being delivered. So yeah, fortunately, I'm not always there. I can just stew. It's convenient when he does zero shopping. That means I have to do all the shopping. So, you know, he has to understand that there is going to be some shopping. So, you know. So how have you guys uh, brought your kids along and developed this in your family, including the kids? Because I can imagine teenagers especially or middle school and you know it's just really the age where they're looking at everybody else they're comparing comparison thing yeah compares yeah comparing themselves to everybody how do you navigate those waters yeah well probably fortunately for us they were toddlers when we started Mm -hmm. so they don't have a huge memory of life before um, us trying to make this big change Um, However, we have always involved them in the change. We didn't go behind their backs and get rid of all their toys and, um, you know, just force it upon them. Josh is really, um, 
he always stresses that you start with your own stuff first before you get to your kid's toy room or your kid's whatever, even though a lot of the times it's the kid's stuff that overwhelms you. So you want to start there. Mm -hmm. And um, he always says, you see everyone else's clutter, but your own. And that's definitely true with kids. But we started with our stuff. So by the time we got to their rooms and we got to their toys, they had already seen us doing this for months and for many different rooms in the house. And so they were kind of ready and we were able to talk to them about why and um, how we were going to do it. And, and, and it looks different for kids. So for our, for kids, it's better to have boundaries in place than to just say, mm, you can't have this, or you can't, you know, get down to this number of things. It, it was more important for us to say this drawer is for your collections. Once this drawer is overflowing, got to go through it, you know, and, and figure out what you really want to keep and not keep. And, and by modeling it, that's, um, that's basically how we, we have done it. Um, he always says, we model it like we model anything else. If we want our kids to be kind, if we want them to be generous, any of those other qualities that we want them to carry on, this is how we do it. And we model it and we hope that they pick it up and we don't know what they're going to pick up and what they're not going to, but we're just hoping that our lives will be an example for them. Uh Um, As they've gotten to be teenagers, it becomes a little harder, but maybe not as much as you think because less doesn't mean cheap. I think um, people confuse that. Um, Less can actually give you better quality items because you're you're buying less. So you can sometimes spend more, which for teenagers is sometimes what they're into. They get into brands and things like that. Um, But our kids fortunately have not been too difficult with that type of thing. Honestly, once they become middle schoolers, they don't do toys anymore, you know, so you're, you've gone past that phase of life. So you're getting into just, you know, maybe video games and sports uh, and, yeah. mm. and that technology stuff. Yeah. So that makes your life pretty simple. I've always been, um, a, a big explainer, a big over explainer to kids. Like I'm, I'm pretty convinced that you should have a reason as a parent for every decision that you're making. And if your child, whether they're six, 10, 16, like if they, if they disagree with your decision, um, you should be able to explain why you made the decision that you did. And if you can't explain why you made the decision, then, then maybe they have a good point about it. <laughs> need to be that way. And, um, so I, I think our kids have always known why we, why we spend our money the way we do, why we, um, why we don't buy certain things, um, why we, why we don't go out and get some things that other people are, are going to get. They know where our money goes instead and, and what we use it for and, and why we do it. And granted they can take it or leave it, um, when they, when they get older. Um, but I think that they've, 
they've always seen an example that they can go back to. I think I, I really believe that like no matter what value it is that we want to pass on to our kids, if we've lived it as parents, um, our kids may rebel from it in their twenties or thirties, but they can always see, Oh, you know what? My parents always did it this way. Or now I'm starting to see why that was always so important to my, to my mom and um, can embrace it at any point they want if they've seen it. Mm-hmm. So that was probably a major turning point in your marriage, right? I'm guessing the, that journey of minimalism, what, what was another turning point that really shifted? Your yeah, I was, at, I was actually going to jump in there because I was going to say it, it was certainly a big turning point. Um, although it, I think it was more of bringing us aligned with what was always important anyway. Like, I, I don't think we ever said we just want the biggest house that we can possibly get. It just subtly happens. So that, that moment, I don't know if it was a big turning point or more just a, in a, a moment of alignment um, with what our values, the, uh, the bigger turning point, the biggest turning point that came from that was um, five years later when I stopped pastoring and began um, writing and speaking full time about minimalism. Um, that was the bigger, that was the bigger change. And it was, it was tough. Um, Kim was always such a, a, I was a youth, I was a youth pastor for so many years and uh, Kim was always so involved um, every day with what I was doing. And um, she was such a great partner in that. And then I switched to writing my own thing and answering my own emails and doing my own social media. And it was, it, it was a pretty big um, moving away from us working together every day on stuff and me just doing my thing. And then I, I didn't even know at the time, but then finding out later, not too long after that she still loved the the pastoring part. Like that's what she felt called to, to do. And um, being more involved in youth ministry than, than she was now um, that I had switched. And so that was the bigger turning point. And there's been good times and bad times and sorting it all out still. Kim, you're looking at Joshua and you gave her, gave him like a head nod and smile. Like it seemed like that was a, maybe a complicated season. If there's someone like wrestling through that, that shift in work or purpose, as a partner, how did you process through that? It was really hard. And we, I mean, I wouldn't say that we did not prepare as best we could for that because we did. And it was a two year process actually of him transitioning out of pastoring into writing and speaking full time. And so I knew it was coming and the kids knew and, you know, the church, everybody knew, but, um, you know, you still don't know what it's going to be like. And the unknown was really hard um, to prepare for. So, you know, we saved money, um, not knowing if he was going to make enough at first, which you don't really, it takes a little time. And, um, and so I went and got a job because I didn't know if he'd be making enough money. So that changed our lives Mm. in other ways as well. And we were literally, having monthly celebrations if he would make the amount of money that we needed to, (laughs) to, um, survive. I don't know. (laughs) 
And um, that's how it was month to month at the very mm -hmm. beginning. And so that was a huge transition for all of us. And, you know, I made um, lifestyle changes too, you know, not just him, but it was, it was hard to not be on the same page. It was kind of hard for me. I mean, he had already been writing for years before that. So that wasn't brand new, but, um, but it kind of became his whole life at that point. And so I realized that I didn't know a lot of what he was doing. I had always edited for him because I'm good at that. So I know what he was writing, but he has like this whole group of online friends and community that I don't know at all. Like I'm meeting you guys for the first time. And, um, and at first that was hard for me because I used to always know everybody he knew and mm. we, um, we were always in everything together. So there, there was a lot of, um, him talking about things I didn't know anymore, um, or I didn't know who. And so that was strange, but, um, but eventually we, he, you know, he made it work. I didn't have to work outside, um, outside of the home anymore. And I was able to start working for him. And so then that brought us back together to working together again. And that, that was really nice. So there was a period of struggle for a couple of years trying to figure it out, but, um, eventually it came back around. I, I probably brought a lot of stress into the, into the transition. Um, man, that'd be a whole fascinating conversation actually about, um, transitioning from, from full-time employment to, um, a startup. Cause, uh, we were make I, like becoming minimalist was bringing in probably about 50% of what we needed, um, to survive when, when I made the transition, we had saved up enough to, to last eight or nine months, um, based on, um, income staying the same. But I was, I was definitely carrying that weight and, and having that stress and probably bringing it home to the family more than I thought I was. Um, man, where's the line between vulnerability and, and, and bringing worry, um, into your family's life that, that doesn't need to be there. There was one dinner where I realized how much I had been doing that. We were at dinner and I was trying to make a joke it was maybe a month or so before I was going to go full time on my own. And I, I made a joke about maybe the kids are going to have to bring home food, like extra school lunch food in their so, pockets, in their pockets. So we could eat it for dinner. If this whole thing didn't work out, which in my mind, I thought was a funny joke, but it was not. They, they started crying. They started crying and I realized how, scared they were about the whole thing and they didn't need to be that scared like we had done our math we had done the homework like it, it wasn't gonna be that bad um but that brought new stress into the transition that didn't need to be there uh, yeah that's, i don't know if I, I don't know how funny it is now but again um <laughs> the kids still sometimes tear up a little when we talk about it but and I'll say this, you know what else it did? It brought, it brought new, you know, the change brought new temptations into my life um, that weren't there before. Um, when, when you have the full-time check and the boss is expecting 40 hours a week and you're doing your work well and you're fitting it in that time 
And when suddenly you're, you're on your own and there's nothing but a clear road in front of you and you're like, hey, the faster I run, the further I get and the more I do, the more I make or the more people I influence. And it was a, it was really a new, a new temptation. Um, one that we weren't doing together, like when we were side by side as youth pastor and, and wife, but I was running on my own and yeah, just, I think brought some new trials that I don't know, like I keep saying, probably still trying to figure out. Yeah. Because as you might imagine in that business, it kind of never ends, you know, it's online and now we have phones and you're constantly being reminded or, or beeped or whatever with ongoing work all the time. So that was kind of a hard thing for him to separate from at first, because when you're, you're trying to make it full time, you feel like almost everything is important. And, um, so that was kind of a hard boundary at first too, I would say. That's so interesting. Like, yeah, the, the transition from, obviously the topic of minimalism is oftentimes about stuff, but it's ultimately a value of life, right? Like it's a way that you see the world and how you want to live. And then you start applying that the same principles to you're building a business around minimalism, but you want more. Right. And then it's like, so how, how did you process through that? Like what is enough related to even your time. work and time and business? I don't know. I don't know if the motives are always healthy. As a matter of fact, I know they're not always healthy. Um, but I've, I've always loved work. Um, I've always, I, I've never been the guy who I've never read the four hour work week. I probably should because I think I can learn some things from it, but just the whole title puts me off right away. Like I, I'm not even interested in working just four hours a week. I, I like working 40 or 50 or um, sometimes more. And so that has like, I've, I've always been, I've always been passionate about working and working hard and making a difference in the world and having an impact. And I was thinking just the other day when, when we get to the end of our life, like when we get to the end of our lives, uh, my kids will, talk about Kim as the one who loved them and lived life with them. And they'll talk about me and what I accomplished and, and what I did and the work that I did. I, I think I'm okay with that. I'm okay with this is what was important to him. And um, he did it for the right reasons. It wasn't to get rich. It wasn't to become famous. Hopefully that wasn't the reason. Like it was because he was influencing people's lives and he was helping people live more meaningful, fulfilling lives. And that's what he gave himself to. I'm okay with that, but it then becomes the the temptation of doing it all the time. And I, I don't know if I've ever found a good balance. I would say that um, probably the most helpful thing for us in finding that balance is to understand that there are seasons of life in everything, in parenting, in our relationship, and in business. And I think by embracing that there are going to be seasons where he has to work extra and he has to do all of these things um, works better for me as a wife in supporting that and understanding it 
And, and I think it works better for him as well. Like when he's coming up to a launch of something, there's a lot of work involved. And, um, and sometimes he needs to enlist me to do extra things for him. And sometimes we are working at night and we're working into the night because there are a lot of things that need to get done in this couple weeks of time. But I know that there's an end to that, you know, and there's, you know, a change at the end of the tunnel, I guess. I think understanding that process helps you get through the difficult times where there's more work that needs to happen. It is harder for him to embrace the resting period as much, but you do, you know, I had to make him do vacations at the beginning of, of our family life, but now he enjoys them and wants to do them. So I had to learn to enjoy my vacation. Right. I try to do my best to filter when it comes to work. Um, the, the best filter isn't, Hey, how can I, how can I make more money? Right. Like, like the filter is how do I help more people? How do I help people the most? And I think that looks different because sometimes that means I'm, I'm growing what I'm doing and trying to be involved with more people. But sometimes that means dialing back and saying, I can help people the most by not trying to launch something new or not trying to invent something new or not trying to have the, the biggest, but to have the, the most meaningful. So I don't know. I don't know how well I do keeping that. Yeah. Filter. I mean, I guess another example would be travel. Um, when he started speaking a lot and of course that comes seasonally as well. Like if he's written a book, he's speaking a lot more around that time period and then it kind of tapers off but he likes to travel and speak. And so at the beginning, um, he would do it quite a bit and he would sometimes even do it for, you know, he's doing one speech, but it's two nights or whatever, depending on where he has to go. And he liked it at the beginning and then it kind of wore on him. And it's kind of harder on me at home as well to, you know, just be with the kids um, and handling everything. So we realized that it works better if he's only gone for one night, if possible. One night is very easy for me to handle. And, um, and it's easier for him as well to step away for a smaller amount of time. So we made that small tweak and it made a big difference. Now it's not a big deal to me when he needs to go and speak places, even if it happens to be more frequently, because it's, I know it's, just two days. It's just one night. It's not that big of a deal. We'll see him very soon. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's one of the ways that we made a change to help the family. So now in the midst of quarantine, I'm like, you know, I kind of, on some some days I want less, some days I want more, right? So in the midst of quarantine, I'm like, I want more. I'm so sick of everything in this house. I want a pool. I want anything, anything different than what I'm currently seeing every day. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I want a different house. <laughs> I, I want to leave I the country. I want where my- does that go? He <laughs> almost bought a hot tub online and I had to do rapid interference. Rapid. I didn't do that. I didn't do you it. You didn't because I interfered. Yeah. Uh, so... What would you say to that? What's the question? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. This minimalism conversation has taken a turn, right? 
and and I think there's probably but there's also a lot of people like cleaning out all their yeah, yeah it's a little bit of both right now I'm guessing it's it's maybe equivalent of both both sides of the spectrum it it I'll tell you this I expected um, when the quarantine started. I thought to myself, these are going to be the golden days for my blog. We are launching an app. We launched an app called Clutter Free, and we debated, should we do it now or should we wait? I'm like, we're doing it now. This is going to take off. And I have found the exact opposite to be true. And I, I, I think it's just because people are dealing with like so many emotions and anxiety about health and finances and raising their kids and educating their kids um, like far bigger issues than how many pairs of shoes are in my closet. So I thought, I think everybody on their to-do list had declutter. Um, but the number of people that actually did it was a pretty small minority, just because I think there were bigger issues that people were dealing with and facing. I had a, another friend of mine just talking to me last weekend, and he said that he's found himself buying a lot of stuff uh, during the quarantine. Um, I like your story, Jeff, um, how you shared it. He explained it to me as there's so much outside of my control right now. All the places I would normally go to for dinner or to a movie, I can't do it anymore. The only thing I can control is I can still buy whatever I want on Amazon and it's going to show up at my door. And he's like, it's just the, it's the only place I can get the, the hit. It's the only place I can get the dopamine <laughs> hit is clicking to ship on, on Amazon. I can't go out for a drink to find that or even go to a party um, or a, a, an outing. Socialize. So you, you shouldn't make decisions about where to move um, based on a vacation. And you probably shouldn't make decisions about what your family needs to own um, based on quarantine. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's temporary and then life's going to return to normal and you're going to have to be still checking the chemicals on your hot tub every morning um, if you buy it now. So thank you. Thank you for that <laughs> reminder for him. What would you have done if I would have bought it? Brother? You were going to buy it without telling her? Yes. No, it wasn't really. I mean, yeah, that's I think you're taking purchase. a different angle than what I was taking. It was yeah. going to be great. We were all. It was going to be like a Mother's Day surprise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It was going to be romantic. We're in the hot tub. Next thing you know. No. <laughs> I didn't do it. Listen, one thing that I have learned over the years is every time you buy one thing, whole industries are are added on for add-on components of things that you got to buy more of just to make it operational. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to stay away from. That's the uh, that's the Diderot effect. That's what that's called. Yes. You buy, when you buy one thing, you end up buying something new. You buy the new couches, and then you're like, "Hey, I need new coffee tables, and we need new lamps, or you replace the carpet, and then you need the new paint." And yeah, it never stops. I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> we're here, we're here, but we're here to talk about Kim. So, <laughs> right. have been great i mean uh we are asking every couple this question and uh so we'll end it with this is it possible to change the world stay in love and raise a healthy family yes <laughs> no yes yes it is um 
yeah are you asking how no, <laughs> no. i guess it's possible yes it, yeah i mean no, yes yeah. it is but i mean there you have to embrace change and compromise and um it's kind of a constant learning curve, you know, all of life is learning and we're still changing and we still need to get to know each other over again and make time for each other. And I think we're just all doing our best and hoping that it works out, right? I mean, our kids are getting to the age where we're trying to launch our son and we are hoping that we have done everything that we could to give him a successful, you know, start and um, the values that we hope that he'll carry on. But we don't know, you know, because he is still at home and we haven't seen what he's, what choices he's going to make. So we feel like we're doing what we can to um, make all of it happen. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly it's possible. You, there's, there's countless examples of people who have changed the world and stayed in love and um, raised their families well. So there's people 20 years older than me that have done it well. Um, there's people all over the world who have done it. Um, people from every and any faith or non-faith background have done it and have done it well. So um, certainly it's possible. You guys are doing it right now, by the way. No, we're learning. Well, we're learning yeah. from people like you who are doing it. That's what we're doing. I'm actually. Well, that's what this was about. When you were saying that, I have a feeling there is someone in your head that you thought of. Who is that that you thought, man, they have done that well? Uh, honestly, <laughs> this. Uh, I was thinking of the Manning family. How dumb is that? Like, uh, like Archie Manning, right? Like he's got it. Peyton and Eli and, and the other son. And I'm like, the I guess son. I, <laughs> the other son. <laughs> I, I don't actually know anything about his relationship with his wife. So I, I probably shouldn't have used him as example, but I, I'm a big, like if one person can do it, then, then anyone can do it. Like if it can be done somewhere by some person, then of course it's possible. And of course other people, other people can do it. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, it takes commitment though, you know, like, I See, mean, we're I'm a part- realist. I'm the opposite. I'm like, I've seen so many, like, I think you see so many, like, not doing it or like you see a huge successful social justice campaign and their marriage falls apart. You see a huge, you know, and so I think I see the that so much that I'm like, really? At the sake of their family. Is it possible? But it just takes one, right? I mean, it just takes one to be doing it for you to say, well, look, it's possible. They're doing it. Isn't that just like the magic? You're not supposed to give your opinion. Isn't that just the magic like fairy that just is the one? It's like research is like data. Right. Okay. Well, okay. So I, I would say it this way. I'm just giving a little pushback. That's all I'm doing. No, no, I like it. Well, so I am the only one in my family that has not been divorced other than two cousins. Okay. We're talking like 15 marriages, maybe divorce. So the model for me is not commitment and is not um, work on it. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So I think that it has to be a decision over and over again as time goes on that we are a team, that we are going to work on it, that we choose to live life together. And I mean, that was a super big decision for me, even choosing to marry him because my parents were divorced and I went through that as a middle schooler and it was really hard. And so I knew that when I I was choosing a partner that I was going to choose someone that I couldn't live without, that I didn't want to live without. Um, and he was my friend first. Mm -hmm. So we had that basis already. You know, we already had a friendship. We already knew each other very well before we even started our love story. And I think that not only having to decide that back then, you have to decide it over and over again because yeah. you get comfortable and you aren't as attractive as you were back then and you're letting your all of your stuff hang out and and you still got to realize that that's still I still want this and so I still have to work on it and I still have to choose commitment and choose compromise um I feel like we are in the danger of you do you culture yeah and I get the um, self-love aspect of everything, but if you can't also compromise and, and make changes and come together, um, marriage and parenting and everything is going to be very difficult. So I, I think that we're just trying to come together on a lot of things and give each other the room to make mistakes and apologize and um, just keep growing mm -hmm. together instead of apart. Yeah. Now it's time for the breakdown. Breaking up minimalism. Yeah. I felt like it was a really great conversation about not just like, oh, how to declutter things in your house and yada, yada, but also just like that idea that the modeling idea, starting with yourself first, I thought was really great. Yeah. That can funny. cross everything. This right? idea that, yeah. Oh, you, the kids, you guys need to declutter your room. Well, no, really I mean, need to start with their toys. Well, <laughs> it's the biggest annoyance though. I mean, even when I was preparing for this interview and researching, I literally was like the one room that I need to do. Is the your kids' closet. room. No, because it's the biggest annoyance. Like toys left everywhere. You step yeah. on Legos. You hurt your feet. Like that whole feeling, all of those things. It's like, it just makes you feel like that's what you got to get to. Mm -hmm. But you got to start with you first. Got to yeah. start with yourself. Start with yourself. And model it. Model it and hope they pick it up. Including start with yourself and hope I pick it up. Sorry, right. and it does, it does, it is true because I know that when it's spring cleaning time or just different times that we, you know, you and I always get these like rampages we go on all of a sudden where we just start taking stuff out of our closets and throwing it in bags. And it's always true. like, if you see me doing it, then you're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting rid of everything, getting rid of stuff. And then all of a sudden you have a bag out too and you're doing the same. So. It is true. Yeah. I mean, in general, I'll try to never throw away our honeymoon photos. That's a good idea. Smart idea. Yeah. 
So he brought up this thing that was intriguing to me, and I talked about it in the intro, but you know, this fine line between vulnerability and sharing your stress to the family. That story was really impactful because it's like, how far do you take it? How much do you share with your family? Because sometimes my stress can stress you out, right? Or could stress the kids out and they pick up on that. Like we bring our work home often. I just thought I I liked what he said about it because it was first person. It's hard to figure that balance out. I think there definitely needs to have space for you to be able to speak your worries and speak about your anxiety and things like that. It probably doesn't need to be totally in front of the kids, but also it has to be me allowing you to, you know, just talk it out right? and me not shying away from it because I'm worried that it's going to make me more anxious, right? Like I have to be in the right place too, to hear you and to know that, you know, you're just speaking your worries and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's like true or a hundred percent like true to the scenario. It's just how you're feeling about a scenario. We've been talking about feelings lately. A lot of feelings. You're, you're entering into a new feeling zone. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to, uh, as a medical in the healthcare industry, it's very hard to, you know, that's part of a part of myself that I block off a lot and you kind of have to, to keep a level head and to stay calm and to do the work. And so, yeah, working with some therapy on this. You've been trying to, you, you kind of alluded to it, but when you're in medicine and you're serving people, you have to kind of separate your own feelings from the situation, right? Right. So that you can actually get to solutions. Yes. And Um, stay calm and stay calm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I mean, I've been very engaged with my feelings for a while. You have, Jeff, you have all the feelings and I'm trying. Welcome to the feeling. uh, What's that? The circle, the, the, the (laughs) wheel, the feeling wheel. Yes. We have actually, if you haven't uh, listened to us talk about it before our episode with uh, Susan Robinson, right? Mm -hmm. But the Robinsons, is that feeling wheel. I mean, I have brought that feeling wheel out consistently with my kids and asked them to tell me some of the feelings that they're feeling. Um, Cause when they see other words that name things, it's, it's so much more specific than just I'm, I'm mad or I'm sad. You know, there's so much more that you can unpack. Um, so one of the things that she brought up in the interview that I wanted to make sure we also hit on, is she can, she said choose compromise. And I think some people are going to have a hard time with that idea that are listening. It is hard. I I agree with her that this is a culture of you do you. I agree yeah. with that. I the mean, phrase your your truth is coming out more and more com- more and more commonly. What is your truth? And the truth the truth is that we see things differently. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so if you see things differently than me, am I willing to compromise for the sake of your perspective? Right. Vice versa. (laughs) The vice versa is hard. Oh. (laughs) For me. uh, No, it is hard. Compromise. You know what? Compromise is always hard, no Mm -hmm. matter what. 
it's really hard. And I also agree with her that it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in one conversation. Right. Like she said that, like that him choosing this lifestyle or him saying these certain things, like doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one conversation. It's long, probably just long periods of time. And we don't even fully realize it, but it's a compromise over time. Do you feel like I've compromised more than you? (laughs) This isn't a competition. (laughs) It totally is. As long as you don't buy that hot tub, then I think we could be on the same page. (laughs) So let's bring this full circle. I may want me to compromise to let you buy the hot tub. <laughs> to let that that was a very power statement. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm in control and I'm letting you do this. Uh I think <laughs> compromise is not that's a separation from power. But um yeah, I mean, the truth is we've both had to compromise to stay together for 17 years. Always. And Every day. We don't like it. Nope. But we need it. Sometimes. To sustain. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I think we could do a lot of podcasts on this exact question. Oh, man. This this tension. This is a constant tension. Compromise. I still say no to the hot tub. I think everyone, whether you're you're considering minimalism or some other thing, I think bringing that back to like, we see the world differently. We have our own justice angles that are greatest of important of greatest importance to us that are different. And it's going to take seeing things from each other's side and potentially compromising in some way. So I think there's a lot of people that that this tears people apart. We have to find ways to come together. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Doesn't mean I'm saying yes to the hot tub, but hot tub I time agree. Machine 2020, let's go. And that's another episode of Love or Work. Produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.